I also want to say that it was certainly uh, beautiful on Thursday as we came together and we celebrated Irene's life. Uh, her family was here, and this place was, was truly, it was packed out. And it was, it was wonderful um, to share memories of Irene, as I know we continue to do, as we continue to share with each other, and we remember Irene for all that she poured into us, and remember that she was a children's ministry teacher, and, uh, and she poured into our kids, and that will remain with our kids uh, throughout their whole lives, and so it was uh, truly beautiful also to see, to see the church come together and, uh, and just bless Irene's family in the way that uh, the church did. So by this, all people will know that you, that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And so that was certainly on display. So all glory to God. Well, this morning we're in Mark chapter 12. We'll be going over the first 17 verses of this chapter And the title of this morning's message is The Testing and Rejection of Christ. The Testing and Rejection of Christ. And we're going to begin by reading the first 12 verses of Mark chapter 12. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others... Some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in your eyes, in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but but they feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Oh, Father, as we come... Lord, this morning to worship you. And pray, Lord, that we would, Lord, that we would humble ourselves before you. Lord, that as we study this chapter and these verses in this story, this parable, Lord, that we would not be quick to dismiss this as if we weren't those tenants in some way, shape, or form. I pray always that we would come acknowledging that we fall short time and time again. I ask, Lord, that you would forgive us of our sins, Lord, that you would give us pure hearts and clean hands and eyes that are fixed on you, for you are the author and perfecter of our faith. I ask, Lord, that you would 
convict the heart. That, Lord, as your word examines us, that it will reveal anything that is not of you, that we may be quick to confess and repent. For that is exactly what Jesus desired of these that came to him and these he addressed in such a way. For God wishes that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask that you would give us understanding, that your word may be honored above all. And, Lord, that you would have your way with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The testing and rejection of Christ. Now, I was reminded of the, the time when Jesus had sent his 72 disciples to proclaim the gospel two by two into every town and place where he was going. So they were to precede him and prepare the people for the coming of Christ, for the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for them to see and understand that he was proclaiming whom he was, whom he is, the Son of God. But there were two cities that were identified as being unrepentant cities. And this is what Jesus had to say about them. According to Luke chapter 10. And you can turn with me in your Bibles there if you'd like. Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, verse 13, again, this is what Jesus had to say about these two unrepentant cities. Woe to you, Cherazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, then they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes but it will be more bearable in the judgment of Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. These two unrepentant cities... You know, <clears throat> we pray and we always hope that where we proclaim, where we declare the gospel, that it would be received. That there would be a, a, a yielding of the heart, of the person in their entirety to the Lord. That they may come to know salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But I have to say that it's more than two or three cities that remain unrepentant today. There are many cities that remain unrepentant. But I want to point something else out. That is really should be more convicting. See, self-righteousness can set in within the church. We can approach a section of scripture like this and look at these three cities that were condemned 
because of their unrepentance. And yet we ourselves can be hard-hearted, can come and hear something like this and reject it personally, not identifying with our own shortcomings and think this is exactly what Riverside needs to hear. This is exactly what L.A. needs to hear. This is exactly what San Francisco needs to hear. This is exactly what New York needs to hear. No, this is exactly what Rawl needs to hear. It's the person. You see, if we humble ourselves before the Lord, then we give him permission as we yield to his authority to do the, that work of sanctification in our own lives, for that's what he desires. These cities remained unrepentant, and this is what he had to say about them. The testing and rejection of Christ is something that has been taking place, taking place from the time Jesus began his ministry to declare who he is, the Son of God, and to testify of the truth. Hey, listen, you and I know, and I've been called to pray at City Hall, at different companies, in different settings. And, and as long as someone prays in the name of God, or you say in his name, it can be interpreted however they want, the people want, right? In his name or... Uh, in God's name, or something like that, or even the Lord. Oh, you won't get bothered. You will not get nothing. No one will say anything. But the moment you say Jesus, oh, there's opposition. I, I refuse to pray and make it vague. I've, I've prayed in various settings, and every time I say, Jesus, someone comes up and says, wow, that was really bold of you. No, that's just who my God is. Praying his name. He's the one that gave me access to the Father. It's through the Son. I pray in his name. It shouldn't be something courageous. It shouldn't be something that's bold. It should be the norm. It's just what we do. We are specific, right? But we know that we will be opposed. We know that we will have resistance if we come in the name of Jesus Christ. Who do you represent? Luke chapter 15, verse 18 says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. We have an example of that this very, more, this very moment. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. 
that all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So as we consider the parable of the tenants, we ought to keep in mind the reality of spiritual warfare and how it is that those who belong to and are sent by Jesus to proclaim the gospel, the message of reconciliation of which we are ambassadors. We have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. We will always know this, face resistance, opposition, and even aggression. Are you prepared for that? Because the life of a believer is not an easy one. It is one filled with hope and purpose. It is one that assures us of our destination, eternity and glory. But it is one that is guaranteed that we will face resistance, opposition, and aggression. We also ought to keep in mind how God desires that none should perish, though. Keep that in mind. But that all should reach repentance and know salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we should, we should be heralds. We should be declaring, proclaiming, shouting from the rooftops that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Therefore, we will gladly face resistance, opposition, and aggression. Knowing that our reward is not here on earth. Our reward is for those who believe and look forward to anticipate our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, it says, And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We can pray, and we can pray, and we can pray, but at some point we need to act, and we need to move, and we need to participate. We need to be active within the body, the local body. Of Christ. Regardless of what comes against us. Or who comes against us. Because what we have before us. Is an example of the testing and rejection of Jesus Christ. They tried to entrap him. To lead him into. Committing blasphemy. And yet. He is who he said he was. The Son of God. This morning's study should serve as insight that will help us understand that, first of all, the rejection of Jesus has been foretold in Scripture, and therefore the people were warned well ahead of time. Secondly, the testing of Jesus and the attempts to entrap him to point out falsehood has failed and always has failed and always will fail. Thirdly, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. We're, we're going to learn more about those things in a few moments. But let's first of all look at this parable, just the parable by itself. Uh, the wicked tenants, 
After that, we'll take a look at the just master and then a rightful render. Let's go back to Mark chapter 12, verse 1. This is the parable of the tenants, but it reveals, it brings to the surface some wicked tenants. Verse 1 again, and let's read it again. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed, and so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What Jesus explained to them in this parable was very common in the day. And so it would be clearly understood by his Jewish hearers, the people, the group that he addressed. It was common for a landowner to lease his property out for others to work, to farm. We should also, again, keep in mind who Jesus was addressing. He was addressing a Jewish audience. In fact, we need to remember also he had continued after he had refused to answer the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. Those are the ones that were before him. After they refused to answer whether the baptism of John was from heaven or from man. Because he discerned, he knew that they had no intention of arriving at the truth, of knowing exactly by what authority Jesus was doing the things that he was doing. So this Jewish audience would understand and relate the parable of the vineyard to Israel, the very people of God. They knew that the land belonged to God and not to them. And yet, as he put it, they mistreated, they abused, they beat, and even killed, as they knew very well, the prophets that God has sent over and over and over and over again. What an indictment. Matthew twenty three thirty seven says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Just not willing. What's worse is when you understand, when you know the scriptures, and you still refuse them. This is what Jesus was telling them. You know them. You know the verses. You know the scripture. You know God's heart. You know God's desire. And still you reject this. And every single warning, word of warning that I sent your way. Oh, you rejected every single one of my servants. It was plain as possible. 
Brothers and sisters, God's word is, is plain. It's, it's understandable. Are we, again, unwilling to receive? I'm not talking about just, just hearing like, oh, that was, that, was a, that was a very convicting word. Well, I tell you, time will tell if it was truly convicting or not. And in what way one responds. Jesus said that he has come to give life and that more abundantly. He desires that we would flourish in our faith. That we would be fruitful as we abide in Christ. That we would live in a manner that reflects the faith that we proclaim to have. We need to be genuine. Jesus made it as plain as possible. He again is explaining to them what is true and what has been true. What always will be true. And God desires to reveal what is true in order to give us an opportunity to do two things. Number one, confess. Number two is repent, to turn. He makes things plain. God doesn't confuse and complicate situations. If you, if you sense, if you feel confused or you feel like things have been complicated, it's not him because what he does is he exposes and clarifies what is true. Again, he exposes and clarifies that which is true. He is not the author of confusion. The enemy is always trying to undermine truth, twist truth, make it mean something that we want it to mean. And yet, if we simply trust in him, we understand as we read scripture, as, as we seek to understand it, he makes it plain. He makes it, puts it in a way that is absolutely understandable for every single person. The purpose to expose that which is true is, is to reconcile and restore, even for those who had up to this point rejected and tested God over and over and over again. He wasn't bringing this to their attention so that he could point his finger at them and say, you are condemned and you will always be condemned. No. <laughs> Actually, it was quite the opposite. It was even for them, for each and every one of us, that Jesus willfully went to the cross and fulfilled the will of the Father, shedding his blood and paying the price that we deserve to pay for our sins, not his. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient 
toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is the same Peter that said, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, Acts 2.36. You see, Peter was part of that. He understood that initially. And now he was declaring the gospel. He was proclaiming. He was, he was spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. But your salvation doesn't come by righteous works, for we produce none. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, as we read this, we have to have this explained to us. But in the day of Christ, these Jewish people that he was addressing with this parable, nothing had to be further explained. In fact, their response immediately following this parable tells us they understood very well. Very well. It was made plain. They knew Jesus was pointing out that they were the wicked tenants. We are stewards of what we've been entrusted with. Our lives, our jobs, if we have them, they've been entrusted to us our families, everything. It is to reflect a life that is completely surrendered to the Lord, living sacrifices. So we have the wicked tenants, and secondly, though, we have the just master, because he asks a question. In verse 9, it says, What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Given the scenario that Jesus presented to them, this parable, he asked the question, so... What should the owner of the vineyard do with these tenants? Great question. What would be your answer? Should he ignore and give in? Sweep it under the rug. Look the other way. Should he see to the tenants his land? Oh, you know what? You got me. You got me, it's, you know, you, you've killed everyone. I'm, I'm no one, so here you go. Here's the land, do with it what you will. Should he overlook the wicked rejection and how it is that they murdered many of those that he sent? Should he overlook the rejection of his own son? Would that be a just master? What would you do in that case? Would you seek justice? Would you demand justice? We understand that this was a rhetorical question. The answer was obvious. 
right? Again, the word made plain. That's all we have before us, the word made plain. I always desire to make the word plain, to, to be understood, to be simple, to be able to be received and understood. Because I see that Jesus had the same desire. He wanted it to be made plain. I want you to understand salvation comes by no one else. It's just by Jesus. I am the Son of God. Look at all these miracles, all these things that I've done. Understand and acknowledge that He is perfect. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Can you not see this? Do you not know the Scripture? Do you not remember? Do you not understand it? The Word made plain. It's incredible those who are supposed to be scholars of Scripture. And the tenants of the vineyard. Imagine that. They were entrusted with the worship of God. And yet they were the very ones that rejected the Son of God. They were the tenants of the vineyard that had been entrusted to them, that very vineyard by the owner. And Jesus made it abundantly clear once more that he was a son of God. He was a final one to be sent by the Father. He knew who he was. He had been declaring this time and time again. If the son is rejected, know that there remains none to come after him. There's no one else. Hope is rejected any chance for redemption is rejected and willfully forsaken and justice being the only thing left for you to be applied. Nothing else. Offering after offering after offering. If, if you're sitting in here and this, this is the way it's been over and over and over again, know that nothing remains for you. Nothing at all. I plead with you. Please acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because there's hope in no one else. It's when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ that he assures us, he tells us that if we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. What are you waiting for? You, you can't save yourself by your works. Well, if you remain, if you're here also and, and you're backslidden, lukewarm, as it was stated from the very beginning, oh, right now, the Lord says, the one that is lukewarm, and I'm paraphrasing, will be spit out. You're either for him or against him. There's no in between. I pray. That he is not rejected by anyone in this place. Because he is the last chance for your redemption. I pray that he is not willfully forsaken with full knowledge. Because justice is the only thing left for you. 
He said, he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. To who? Who are the others? Those who call on him as Lord. Those who honor him, obey him. Who can be entrusted knowing that they were stewards of what they've been entrusted with. The ones who know that they are to do everything to the glory to whom they belong to. You see, he asked them, do you not know? Have you not read this scripture? Of course they've read this scripture. He quoted to them Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And again, God does not confuse and complicate situations. He exposes and clarifies them. Time and time again. The purpose is always to reconcile and restore, even for those who had, again, up to this point, rejected and tested God over and over and over again. Jesus was not quoting scripture to condemn them, but in order to reveal reality, truth. What was happening in the moment that again they would confess and repent. Question Were they convicted? The answer is yes, they were. They were convicted. In that moment, they were convicted. In, in fact, it says there in verse 12, and they were seeking to arrest him. But feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. That's conviction. Oh, taking offense, conviction. The same, same sun that softens the wax hardens the clay. A person who continually rejects the word of God, continually rejects the offer of salvation, becomes harder and harder and harder and harder to the point to where, as the Bible says, you can have a seared conscience. You know, a seared conscience has no conviction. That's when it becomes very dangerous for the person. To where there's no conviction. You can come and go. Come to church, listen to the word, hear it. Be- no, not convicted. Why? Because you have no sense of feeling anymore. It's just I come. I've done my duty, I check the box, I go home. And do that over and over and over again. The same sun that softens the wax hardens the clay. Rejected truth will serve to further solidify what is false in the heart of man. His God becoming himself and lead to eternal judgment without the reception of God's grace. Instead of humbling themselves, they wanted to arrest Jesus. And this is what they wanted to do because they knew that he was referring to them in, his, in their own words. But they feared how that would look. How they would look in front of the people that they, they wanted to continue to rule over. So they went away. Isn't it true today how some people will try to quiet those who proclaim the gospel directly. And if they can't do it directly, then they'll attempt to do it indirectly. In some way. 
minimize, marginalize, belittle, undermine, twist. Even the very church, there are people who are making every attempt at undermining the local churches. Uh, when people are constantly badgering, belittling, and diminishing those who lead within the churches as if a generalized statement about everyone because some people have fallen from grace. They have erred in their leadership. We need to be careful because we can be used to undermine the effectiveness of the local church. And we may even be the cause of people stumbling and not coming to Christ. We do not want to be a part of that work. And again, I want to remind everyone this morning that Jesus did not tell this parable to condemn them, but to expose what is true in order that they may understand and be given the opportunity to repent. Because as he said, judgment is coming. And God wishes that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It's like that person that's driving without lights. The cliff is coming. The turn is coming. I'm warning you time and time again. I don't desire for you to go off that cliff. And yet if you ignore the warnings time and time again, just know that it's certain that you will not see the cliff and you'll go right over. That's not what God wishes. That's why he sent his son. With that, we go into the last portion, and that is a rightful render. Verse 13, and they sent him some of the Pharisees. Uh, I guess the, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders were done with him. So now this is who they sent. They sent him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Uh, you could say that uh, if he had a mic in his hand, it would be dropped, right? At that moment. A rightful render. These people, the religious leaders, were sent to entrap Jesus with his own words. Notice how they started out, though, with some, some flattery. You know, but Jesus was unmoved because this doesn't appeal to him. He's, he wasn't looking for the acceptance or the affirmation of people. For his food was to do the will of the Father. He is only interested in glorifying the Father. See, just, just as he did, so should we. Sift 
through the words of people. Sift through them. If it's truly a genuine word of encouragement, receive it, but be quick to understand it's a word of encouragement and then reflect it unto the Lord. This is, do not, one of the things that we ought to never touch is the glory of God. Brother, thank you so much. All glory and honor to God. He is amazing, isn't he? His word is, is what's effective. That's what has the power in his spirit. Oh, the will of the Father is, is beautiful. Edmund Burke said this, quote, Flattery corrupts both the receiver and the giver. Close quote. And Abraham Lincoln said, quote, Knavery, that is dishonest or unscrupulous talk, and flattery are blood relations. Close quote. You see, the purpose of flattery is to influence another individual by becoming more likable to their target. More likable to their target. I pray that God would give us discernment on knowing when that flattery comes, that it, we're, we're actually an intended target. <laughs> They're not genuine in their flattery of the word of encouragement. Well, since God is omniscient, he's not fooled or softened with insincere words, even if they're said in prayer. Remember that. In prayer, we must be sincere, genuine, knowing who we are addressing and always seeking his will. So the question is, because they pose this question to Jesus, why would this question be a difficult one? First of all, if Jesus agreed that the tax should be paid, then he would appear to deny the sovereignty of God over Israel before the people. He, he would expose himself as perhaps being a fraud. Secondly, if Jesus rejected paying taxes, then he would make himself an enemy of Caesar, Rome, and therefore be treated as such. Rome would be after him. They thought they had Jesus cornered with no way to get out of this one. Can you imagine them? They asked him this question. <laughs> we got him now. You're like, that's what they were doing. That's what the enemy does. Um, but they, they celebrated a bit too early. Because Jesus was given the opportunity to give them a lesson on something far greater than taxes. He brought it back to salvation, the humble yielding of themselves to God. So Jesus asked for someone to bring him a denarius. And he asked, whose inscription, whose likeness, whose image is on this denarius? Well, as they looked at it, it's Caesar's. Tiberius was reigning at the moment, so it's the inscription the image of Tiberius. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. He, he took it to a whole different level. They thought he had him, they, they thought that they had him just trapped. Like he has no wiggle room. This is it. You see, you and I are uh, in, on earth we are resident aliens. We are temporary residents of earth while our permanent citizen, citizenship remains in heaven. 
We are, we are pilgrims, only coming through. We are travelers going home. One day we will be home. What Jesus was telling them is to give to Caesar that which had his image imprinted on it. It belongs to him. Give it to him. But Jesus also said, render to God the things that are God's. He didn't just leave it at that. He didn't just deal with that coin. He dealt with the heart of man. That's what's most important. That's what matters to God. Our hearts. Render to God the things that are God's. In Genesis 1.26, it says, then God said to, uh, Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And in the next verse, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Therefore, since we are made in God's image, then we ought to render to God what belongs to him. As if he were to now turn to them. Tell me, whose image do you see? Whose image are we created in? Render to God what is God's. Matthew 20, 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. They knew what he said, what he meant. Again, it was plain to them. And they simply marveled. You know that it was the people that he told the parable of the tenants to, that they were convicted and cut to the heart, and yet they rejected they were the very same ones who actually accused Jesus of opposing Rome. Which he didn't oppose Rome, but he had the bigger picture in mind. And that is that, is that people would come to surrender to him as Savior and Lord. These people marveled and they were convicted, but what they did with that is what mattered. Because even they understood what Jesus said. Their hearts were hardened all the more. The question is, what are you going to do with what is true? If you find yourself angry, bitter, agitated, then perhaps it's because you're rejecting the truth. John 8 31 and 32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus' desire was that they would be set free, delivered from condemnation, saved, forgiven, reconciled, restored unto the Father by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Because the same True, that was true then is true today. Will you marvel at what is true and yet remain the same? Or will you rightfully render to Jesus what belongs to him? I pray as has already been stated plainly. That we do not reject him, but that we would receive him. That we would, as things are revealed in our own lives, 
starting with salvation, our sin, in that application that we would surrender our lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, confessing and repenting. And from there, desire to obey him and glorify him and reflect his image to others, that it's his love and his grace and his mercy that draws people unto him. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. We, we ask, Lord, that, Lord, you would help us, Lord, strengthen us. Help us to see and, and to yield to you, knowing that you are not only the author but perfecter of our faith, desiring to bless and honor you. And I do pray, Father, that if there's anyone here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, that this morning, Lord, they would confess Jesus as Lord and believe that you have raised him from the grave. Lord, knowing that in Christ, Lord, our faith in Christ gives us victory over sin and death. And one day we will be with you for all eternity. And so, Father, help us to be faithful stewards of what you've entrusted to us. May we bless you and honor you in every way. In Jesus' name.